eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What is good, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Coast to Coast podcast. I'm Joey Powell. I'm trying to hold it together because of my own gaffe prior to starting this recording. Uh, we appreciate you joining us here on InsideCarolina.com. If you're listening via however you consume podcasts or watching us on YouTube, we appreciate you being here. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We need you to take care of that. Leave us a good review. If you don't like what we're doing, let us know uh, so we can try to do better about that and not give you garbage content. Uh, with us tonight, some gentlemen that I've known for quite some time. I've spent many hours in the podcasting world with them. Definitely not a situation where I would mess up one of their names or something like that. Uh, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran, boys, how are you? Doing well. well. Yes, Jinx. Buy me a Coke. <laughs> um, <laughs> I realize I never throw to one of you specifically when I say that, and, and then you're both like waiting, all right, who goes first, who goes first? That's on me, but uh, man, I'm full of them tonight. Appreciate you guys being here. Guys, we've got some things to talk about, and before we get into it, I want to make sure that all of our listeners and viewers will give some love to Johnny T-Shirt. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them later, but they're responsible for bringing this content to you, so make sure you thank the folks at Johnny T. A lot of recruiting stuff happened and right towards the end of the week. It almost felt like a, a mainstream media news dump, right? You know, A lot of stuff got out right at right at the afternoon on, on Friday and specifically offers going out to Justin Taylor and Derek Lively. Uh, Sean, I'll go to you first. What can you tell us about Derek Lively's game? Yeah, Derek Lively, 6'11", foot center. Uh, currently on the 24-7 website is listed at 200 pounds. So uh, definitely, you know, a, a thin guy, but he run, runs the floor well. Uh, pretty strong defensively with his shot blocking and timing right now, offensively, you know, when you watch him and, and read about him, the, the key word is that you, that you kind of see often is he's improving. Uh, so right now, really good in the pick and roll uh, with his length, uh, great at catching lobs, uh, but also kind of being hit with the ball right after, um, right after the pick and roll when he's going to the basket. He's shown an ability to shoot from the outside. Uh, you know, so he, he does have that. I wouldn't say that it is his strong suit now, but in terms of how his game trends, he definitely, you know, looks more, you know, more like a pick and pop five almost. Um, but I think as he gets stronger, he'll be able to establish the post game. So, you know, I think he, he's a pretty intriguing 
prospect just from a talent perspective, um, you know, just, get, just given his height, his coordination and, and skill level, I think he needs to get a little bit more explosive um, as well as stronger, which everybody does at, at that age. But definitely an interesting guy to, guy to watch. Um, but we'll throw it to Rel, I guess, for, you know, more information on the recruitment and things like that. But uh, he's a guy that is definitely not at the peak of his uh, talent level right now. Awesome. And Sean's pretty much doing my job for me at this point. Sherelle, what can you tell me about about the backstory around the lively offer and, and his recruitment in general? Yeah, I mean, there's a gaff and then Sean's doing your job for you. I, I you know, watch behind your back, man. It's just just a matter of time before Buck pulls the plug on this whole thing. I'll get a I'll get a, a future endeavor uh, message posted on Inside Carolina and you know, I'll be off down the road and you'll never hear from me again. Uh, so with Lively, honestly, man, we're still learning about him. Um, he's one of those players, and you know, we talked about this on the radio show. Again, always listen Saturdays, 10 a.m. WCHL Inside Carolina Live, Joey and Tommy. Uh, we talked about it yesterday in that he's just someone who North Carolina would have watched. And I know people get tired of me saying that, but he's someone <laughs> they would have uh, watched in the spring and the summer on the AU circuit just to learn more about um, to better understand their game. And I think this is one of those offers where Carolina looks around and says, you know what, we need big men in 2022. And, you know, there's a possibility that everyone, all the bigs on the roster right now are gone uh, by the time the 2022 class enrolls. So, you know, you have to start rebuilding and to do that, you can't just offer one or two guys. You got to put out, you know, multiple offers if you're going to sign multiple bigs. And right now I would say the offer is really Dylan Anderson is a center out from Arizona has a UNC offer. And then, you know, Jairus Walker, I think some people feel can play kind of the four, uh, kind of a face-up four in college. So he's the other one. So I think the lively offer, uh, really more than anything, was getting another player, um, an offer that they liked, that they can really start to recruit and get to know. And then hopefully when things open back up, get him on campus. Um, As far as him as a player, Sean really nailed it. But, you know, kind of the things he said to – some of the 24-7 sports reporters, it, it gives you a little bit of pause when it comes to North Carolina. He's openly talked about being one and done, which, you know, there have been plenty of players who've come to Carolina and openly talked about being one and done. Um, so, but when you add that to what he likes to do, and he said it, uh, he said it to Deshaun London, who is a 24-7 national sports um, and recruiting analyst, basically he wants to be in the pick and pop pick and roll and he wants to shoot threes. I mean, he literally said that. <laughs> and, you know, Roy Williams will allow bigs to shoot threes, but it, it takes time. That's He's not going to come in and it's not going to be ball screens and he's going to be picking and popping all the time. Um, so that, you know, that gave me a little bit of pause when I was reading that about how uh, serious I should take um, his interest in UNC post offer. Um, so I just want to put that out there. Like it's, it's an offer and then someone they'll, they'll recruit, but I do wonder, you know, how much he knows about UNC and if once he finds out more about UNC, if it's still some a, a place he wants to consider. Appreciate that honesty and, and throwing that caveat out there. I definitely think that hopefully our listeners and viewers have come to expect that we're going to tell them the truth, especially, you know, on how you can read these recruitments and what you know from talking to people around the recruitments. We're not just going to say that, hey, this kid's got an offer. UNC has a chance or he's going to come visit or anything like that. And you're not saying that UNC doesn't have a chance, but I appreciate you giving that refreshing, uh, honest view of things as opposed to just throwing some sugarcoating on it. Um, And the other offer went out to uh, Justin Taylor, who's somebody we've talked about on here before. And I believe Sean has previewed him uh, in an article in his um, 
the in-depth looks he in-depth looks he does uh, for Inside Carolina. Uh, Sean, you want to kind of give a, a, a recap of, of Justin Taylor's game? Yeah, and first, uh, I guess thanks to Sherelle for kind of going a little deeper on Lively. That's why I wanted to wanted to throw it, throw it to him. Um, you know, the only other thing to add on him, his mom played was played at Penn State, uh, very talented, and I think she works at Penn State currently. So you know, always watch for for that and see if that you know Penn State factors in. Uh, but in terms of Taylor. You know, I think when, when I was watching the two, he definitely struck me as, as more realistic for Carolina, um, as well as in terms of his game. You know, I, I think very skilled, uh, which is, is uh, I think, the key word and what Carolina needs to recruit going forward um, in terms of his, his, his size, his shooting ability. You know, from an athletic perspective, he can definitely finish above the rim. Um, I, I think the, the one improvement point for him is his ability uh, to beat people off the dribble. Uh, right now, he has a pretty good step back jumper, which kind of alleviates uh, maybe some of those some of those issues. But I think, you know, you watch the highlights, and he's perfectly fine pulling up from the NBA three point line, um, and is very a very confident shooter. Um, so right there with that size and shooting ability was something that I liked right off the bat. I think it'll be interesting. Knock on wood, if the AAU season, um, you know, hopefully happens this year, he should be playing for team takeover and just kind of seeing how he performs at that, you know, at that level um, will be interesting. You know, he, he comes from Charlottesville. The offer came right before the UVA game, probably not, not the best <laughs> game, uh, you know, right before to, to give an offer. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. But I think, uh, you know, from a skill set perspective is definitely one that Carolina's going to be going after pretty hard. Good stuff, and uh, I appreciate you know again the, the the backstory on on who he is as a player and the type of offense that he fits in because I think that's something that a lot of our our listeners and uh, and viewers on YouTube are, are coming to expect from you. So I appreciate you getting down into the kind of the meta about uh, about Taylor's game. Sherelle, you want to give us the same kind of synopsis about where the recruiting stands with him and and kind of what that story looks like? Uh, yeah, and and um, you know when Roy Williams is recruiting someone. A lot of times he won't give a, a player comparable immediately. That's something that comes, you know, either on a visit or after a few conversations. But this, uh, the offer conversation that he had with Taylor on Friday was just the second time that they talked. And he mentioned by name Justin Jackson as kind of the UNC comparable for Taylor. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense, um, just the way they play kind of a, a long, um, not necessarily super athletic, but long, skilled, somewhat athletic three. Uh, who can come off screens, who can get his own shot, who can rebound, who can do all the things that Carolina wings are supposed to do. Um, so like Sean said, I do think it is a fit. And I think it shows you the seriousness in which they are starting to recruit him because they mentioned Justin Jackson, who was a, a top 10 player uh, when he came out of high school. Uh, and so the other schools involved, uh, there, there's a lot, but <clears throat> just from talking to folks, you know, Syracuse, Indiana, Virginia uh, seem to be kind of in that top tier that's by no means an official list or anything but I would say outside of um you would see that it's offered you hear a ton about Syracuse Indiana and Virginia mm. um and obviously UVA is the home school it's not he's not at uh his high school you know he's not at a boarding school and he's from somewhere else that's actually where he's from from Charlottesville born and raised there has lived there a long time he works out uh, with uh, UVA pros, uh, you know, he's been to the campus countless times because it's right down the street. So 
it is going to be tough with UVA kind of looming over. However, um, his his when we talked to him on Friday night, he was very adamant uh, that he's made no decisions and that he wasn't a UVA lock. I mean, of course, what, what would you expect him to say? But he was very adamant that he wasn't that he was really going to, to consider other schools and that the Carolina offer was was a big one for him. And I, I believe them honestly. You know, doing this for a while, you can kind of tell when someone is is maybe not being forthright, but I, I really think he was. And I really think he's going to consider uh, North Carolina heavily. And one thing we will not stand for is, you know, 17 and 18 year old kids not being forthright with Sherelle McMillan. That's just <laughs> absolutely not something that this podcast is about, nor would we endorse in any way, shape or form, but it is good that it sounds like he's, you know, he's giving you the real dirt and that, you know, it's not just a, uh, a song and dance that he will end up at UVA. I mean, he may go to UVA, but to your point, it uh, does sound like he's actually going through the recruiting process. Other recruits of note um, and signees, uh, commitments, however you want to frame that. We talked about this on Inside Carolina Live a little bit with Sherelle on Saturday, but uh, Sean, I'll let you give your analysis of DeMarco Dunn against an unnamed uh, in-conference opponent this past week, going for 38 on a very, very efficient evening. Uh, you wanna, do you want to talk a little bit about Mr. Dunn's offensive output? Yeah, so I, I haven't been able to kind of watch the, the full game from that one. And I know we've talked about Dunn the last two weeks, but I think once again, you know, for him, even before that game, he was, or I guess before this week, uh, you know, he was shooting 40% from the three-point line. Um, and, you know, he, he's been doing it pretty efficiently without a lot of wasted, wasted dribbles, a lot of wasted motion. I think, once again, for him, he just, the more games he plays, the more, you know, I think the better um, he, his shooting is going to definitely help Carolina next year. Uh, you know, in terms of him being a starter, you know, you know, let's not put those expectations right now. But I think in terms of him just continuing to get more confident, you know, he's scoring 20, you know, 25, 30 points routinely. Um, and, and he's doing that at a very efficient level. So the more 30 point games we see from him, the better. And I think he's a threat to do that pretty much every time he goes out on the court. And once again, he's not a guy for the most part that is going to take 30 shots to do it. Um, so I think he, you know, everything he gets comes within the offense and he, he's continuing to improve because you can really go back a year and a half and he didn't have the range that he has right now. Um, he was short on a lot of his, a lot of his three pointers in AAU and he's gotten taller, stronger. Um, and that range has increased. Yeah. Just looking at his number of field goal attempts uh, from the other night, uh, it, they, you know, I mentioned before we recorded today, it wasn't like he was out there just, you know, just chucking, right. They were, it was a pretty good percentage kind of to play off of what you were just sharing about that. He was shooting around 40, uh, Sherelle, any, anything that you want to share with folks? Maybe, I, I think you gave a great analysis about, um, low usage, high efficiency, I think was, was the, the phrase that you put together on, on the radio show on Saturday. Am I, am I misspeaking or is that kind of, of, of what you were trying to intimate? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Low, low usage, high efficiency. Um, and, and in North Carolina offense, the wing, you know, it's it's important, but it's not as important as the point guard or the big. And, you know, that's just something that UNC wings have to realize. They can, uh, you know, play really well within the system, but the system kind of has advantages for the lead guard and, and for the center. So if you're, if you're a wing, you just need to be able to take advantage of your opportunities when they come. Um, and I think Dunn will be able to do that when he gets to UNC. Um, what kind of fascinates me and thinking bigger picture 
is you start to see this core for UNC of what should be some really, really good shooters who are multi-year players um, on the college level. So Kerwin Walton, we think, is going to be a multi-year player. Puff Johnson, although he's kind of, his, his freshman year has kind of got sidelined b- between getting behind with COVID protocols and then getting injured, you think he's going to be a really good shooter before his time's over at Carolina. R.J. Davis, same thing. You think he's going to be a really good shooter before his time is over at Carolina. DeMarco Dunn, you think he's going to be a really good shooter before his time is over at Carolina. So that's four guys right there. And then some of the players in 2021 and 2022 they're going after also have that skill of, of being marksmen, of, of known for being good shooters. So it makes me wonder, like, are they going to ever be able to kind of marry it where the bigs and the shooters are on the court at the same time not freshmen kind of all um, experience because if you go back to looking at 2017 that they had it they had the experienced bigs they had the experienced wings the experienced guards and they all you know Justin Jackson and and uh, Joel Berry had the most three-point attempts of any duo in Carolina history the championship season and then they had three bigs and a Luke May you know you know down low that they you know could utilize but then when you go to 18 they were so perimeter heavy with Pinson and Barry and Cam Johnson and Luke May. Same thing again the next year with Kenny and uh, Kobe and Luke May and Nasir Little. So, you know, that happens. And then they signed Daron Sharp. They signed Walker Kessler. <laughs> they they signed Armando right <laughs> Yeah. And then so last year you're, you're looking at the roster. And you're like, there's no guards or wings, you know. And then this year you're looking at they have them, but they're not experienced. But they have four, you know, really, you know, pretty good bigs. So now it's like, okay, we expect Garrison to be gone after this season and probably at least one player, one other big to be gone. Um, and so that, that d- diminishes the pool. So you're down to two, but you still have all these really good wings that we talked about who we think are going to be a good shooter. So all that to say, it's just curious to me. It's like they can't quite balance it where all the wings and or most of the wings and most of the bigs are experienced. It's, it's kind of either or. So I'm curious to see if they'll be able to get that in the next couple of years, especially with the core you expect to be there of Kerwin, uh, R.J. Davis, Puff Johnson, DeMarco Dunn, Dontre Styles, Anthony Harris, especially with that core. If they can just make sure there's two or three bigs, I mean, I, I think you have to feel really good <laughs> about the future of UNC moving forward with those guys. Yeah, and you wonder, too, as the game continues to evolve, you know, is that, uh, is that recipe, is it ready a year ahead of time, maybe as opposed to having juniors and seniors like they did in 17? Could you pull it off with juniors and sophomores? Or could you pull it off, you know, something like that? It's, it's really, I'm with you. It, it, is, it is perplexing and it is entertaining to see, can they have all of the dishes ready to be served to the table at the same time so that one's not, you know, one's not overdone and one's not underdone. It's, it's a little bit of a juggling act. Something that is not a juggling act is shopping with Johnny T-shirt because you always know that you're going to get the top quality gear. You're going to get it at a very, very fair price and you're going to get it quickly if you have it shipped or you can just go pick it up from them at their store on Franklin Street. JohnnyT-shirt.com, big supporters of North Carolina or at InsideCarolina.com. North Carolina graduates is what I was trying to say there. Um, so alumni owned, alumni operated, huge fans of Inside Carolina and what we do. And we're fans of them. Uh, if you ever need UNC gear, you're trying to do some home gating, uh, trying to just make your, your game atmosphere fun, hit them up. Uh, if you like things other than basketball and football, they have all kinds of gear for all the sports that North Carolina entertains. You know, the North Carolina Athletic Department uh, sponsors very, very many 
of varsity sports. Well, Johnny T-shirt has swag for all those sports. Um, had a lot of success with the men's and women's tennis teams. They have that stuff too. Hit Johnny T-shirt, but Johnny T-shirt up. Use the premium subscriber extra ten percent off top of their great prices to begin with, and you will be happy that you did. So we appreciate Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com, right there on Franklin Street. Take care of them, and they will take care of you. Right now, we'll let the national guys come in, drop some ads in. We'll be right back. Talk about the week that was in UNC basketball. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, thanks for sticking around. You're listening to the Coast to Coast podcast. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. Fellas, uh, UNC did not have a game midweek this past week uh, due to Miami seeing the videos that floated on social media. Uh, Those circles were kind of bleeding out into the media. People were making stories about it that may or may not have been stories, whatever. Won't get into that. But that leaves the only game that they've played since we last talked about the Duke game was the game against Virginia. And once again, UNC goes to Charlottesville. It's a house of horrors. Sean, I know you're a huge UVA fan and you love their style of basketball as I do. Um, Is there anything that North Carolina could have done uh, other than make shots to do better in this game? Um, That's a good question. I mean, I think – once again, you know, similar. So we had the Duke game and the Clemson game and we're basically, you know, it's, it's like coming doing a podcast right after the, the Clemson game almost. Uh, UVA exerted their style of play and, and how they, you know, their physicalness. Um, UNC just started out slow and, and the game was pretty much over, uh, you know, six minutes in. Um, so, I, you know, could they have done – yeah, they could have, you know, they, they missed some easy, easy shots. Um, but once again, from a team's perspective, you, you unfortunately, I think, knew what you were going to get. Um, you know, I, this isn't a team that is a great shooting team. It's not one that makes crisp passes, unfortunately. Um, and UVA, while they're, you know, first place in the ACC, it's not like they were, you know, running away with it. Their, you know, points per possession was 1.03. It was just UNC was right at the Clemson level almost. Um, You know, I think we all knew it wasn't going to be a a Duke defense. Um, I think we kind of brought that up on the podcast to try to, you know, it was a great win and Kayla loved it great. But, you know, that's why the Miami game would have been nice to potentially have that game to work work in because we knew what we were going to see on Saturday uh, with with kind of the the pack line D. you know, you know, rewatched the game this morning, which was uh, just as just as frustrating. 
Um, I think it would have been been nice just to to try to establish you know establish um, the the bigs a little bit more. Uh, you know, right off the bat, three four possessions in, they got four. You know, you're not going to say they're great shots. Um, first they were one, in the Garrison paint, Brooks though. off a of pick. Yeah, pick and roll, but they weren't bad shots. But right. in terms, you know, it's Brooks taking two, Leaky taking two. Um, and, and once again, you just kind of needed to come out with you needed to hit them a little bit um, in, in terms of establishing a lead and establishing a presence because once again, they, they went a few minutes without scoring, but all of a sudden they hit two threes and it's, it's six to two. And then it just kind of spiraled after that, but they only score four points in 10 minutes. Um, you know, only have a few field goals in the first 14. It, it was just a frustrating, frustrating experience. Yeah. Sherelle, I'll give you the same opportunity to, to puke on the microphone here if you'd like. I mean, I don't really have anything to say, honestly. I mean, it's what you would expect when Carolina plays Virginia now. And it's it's kind of a sad state of affairs. I mean, I understand that this UNC team is young and has been through a lot. But, you know, good UNC teams go to UVA and lose and lose in ugly fashion. The national championship team, I think, put up 40-something points. Got worked, yes. Yeah, so I, I think it's just a, a schematic – you know, it, it feels it feels like and I'm stealing this from someone and someone I talked to, but it feels like Tony Bennett went into a lab and said, what style of play can I create that will make that will render UNC's offense and what it does moot? And <laughs> he came out with what he has, you know, that he learned from his dad and with the pack line D. And now he's added, you know, decent talent to it. You know, at first, yeah, it felt like he was kind of keeping it together with, with glue, like, you know, a guy here, a guy there. Um, but now, no matter who's in UVA's lineup year after year, you kind of expect them to either win the ACC or, or be right there at number two. I'm not saying they replaced UNC uh, permanently or anything, but, I, you know, I just now I see what UNC used to be when I look at Virginia. Yeah. I see the faces change, you know, the jersey numbers change, the names change, but the style of play is exactly the same. You know what they're going to do and you just can't stop it. You can't stop them from, from like Sean said, exerting the, their will on the game. And I think, to me, that is the most probably disappointing thing. Not that UNC lost. I mean, they were six-and-a-half-point underdogs, so you, you expected them to go in there and lose. Um, but it was just that it happened exactly how the script said it was going to happen. Like, it would have been nice if, you know, oh, Carolina maybe took a lead or something or, or we're up three or up yeah. five at some point, but – you know, you get down, you're up to nothing, and then you're down 6-2, and then you're down 21-4. to four. And uh, I, Doc Hillfire on Twitter, uh, he tweeted about it, 44-39 UNC led after getting down 21-4. to four. You just can't dig a hole against UVA like that. You can't miss bunnies. Um, they didn't have a ton of turnovers, but the turnovers they had felt really important. You can't miss free throws. You can't miss open threes. And when you just add all that up, um, you, you get, you know, the kind of game that you got. I mean, they had 10 more shots than UVA and still lost by 12. Um, it just speaks to not only UNC's inefficiency, but UVA's efficiency on defense. Something I want to throw out there, and I think, I think fans miss this a lot. You know, they think that UVA you know, just doesn't score or whatever because they don't push the ball. But what UVA is trying to do is to limit possessions because they feel like their execution – is going to be better on those limited possessions than yours for the same concept that Roy Williams always wants more possessions because he feels like that gives him more chances for his team to beat you and was, uh, was using an example that I've used before last night. 
uh, in kind of a chat with somebody, but UVA style of play to me is much like a knuckleballer in baseball. And I think a lot of fans wonder, well, why can't North Carolina beat Virginia? Why can't they do something? Why can't they change up to beat Virginia? You're not going to change your style to beat a team that you're going to play at most twice a year. It just, that doesn't make a ton of sense. And we all know how embedded that Roy Williams is and how dug in he is to his style. He's not going to change who he is just to beat a team, regardless of who it is, whether it's Duke, Virginia, you know, sisters of the poor university, whoever. Um, but how do you guys feel about the, about the knuckleball analogy? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I feel like it is. It's, their Virginia is that different enough to where when they see the other 24 or 25 teams on their schedule or 25 games or however many it is, they're enough of an, uh, an aberration that teams just can't ad- adapt to it. And usually um, I'm using an example of, of think about Tim Wakefield when he used to pitch for, for Boston. I mean, he would get, he would get 15 or 16 decisions a year because he's so different from everything else that every, every hitter saw. And he was going to do that. And it was going to be, uh, it was going to be terrible for the game, which you hear a lot, and it's going to be painful to watch, which Sean can Sean can empathize with me on that. But I feel like that's pretty much what Tony Bennett has done with with UVA, and he's he's made them a, a knuckleball in, in basketball offense. Uh, Sean, how do you feel about that? Is that a stupid analogy, or or do you feel like it's it's no, it's definitely definitely not a definitely not a stupid analogy. Um, you know, I, I would say and just. You know, if I if I go too long on this, just cut me off because I've got a lot of UVA <laughs> got thoughts. Feelings. But, yes, we know. <laughs> um, you know, first thing in terms of their offense, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, you know, it'd be great to just speed them up. Uh, but I guess with this UNC team, you speed them up, and you know, there's a few possessions where uh, I think Murphy, you know, he he was the only one that was willing to let it fly early in the shot clock, but you know, he'd be wide open and he'd let it fly 17 seconds left, 20 seconds left, and he was draining threes. So if UNC were to speed it up, I think that would have just left their shooters even more open. But at the same point, you know, from a knuckleball perspective, you know, I feel like each year, you know, UVA is just going to run through the ACC. Um, I I think Duke's really the only team that knows how to play them because they spread them out and they attack them off the dribble. Um, and I'm all, in my head, I always have to say, well, wait till they get the, the tournament. They're going to run through the ACC. And then, you know, unless they have superior talent like they did in their championship year, they're going to get upset. Um, and I, I feel the same same thing this year, which is weird because if you think if, if it's a knuckleball, then it would go all the time. But it, it's like once they're out of conference, it, it doesn't really affect the team. It doesn't seem to affect the teams as much um, in terms of the pack line D. I mean, even – you know, they're 0-2 against West Coast Conference teams, uh, almost lost to Kent State. Now, granted, this is earlier in the year, but um, I, I think, you know, it, Roy doesn't have to change the whole system. But, you know, last night I just I, I was just like, let me go watch some highlights from the Gonzaga-UVA game because Gonzaga just absolutely torched the pack line D. And now, you know, once again, this is one of the best offenses right. we've seen in, in quite a while. So I'm not, I'm not making that comparison by any means, but – they did things that UNC could do, you know, first play, they, they did a pick and roll with Anton Watson. You know, I think UNC got UNC's guys are more skilled than Anton Watson, but he set a pick and he rolled directly to the basket. They didn't waste any time and they hit him, you know, quickly. Next play, they put Kispert um, as a screener. He just sets the screen for a second, pops up for a three. There's no reason, you know, UNC couldn't 
make those plays. But once again, it, it comes to quick decision-making and being able to take advantage of some of the weaknesses of the, of the pack line D, but to the knuckleball effect, UVA feels like, yeah, they're weaknesses, but we're going to run our stuff and we don't think the other team can beat them. And unfortunately in the UNC's case, you know, the double team is going to come from the uh, big to big, um, you know, UNC took advantage of it a few times, but that should be something right off the bat. You're like, okay, we know it's coming. Let, let's figure out how to get an easy basket off of that. There are a few times Dayron saw it coming. Uh, you know, one was an extremely weak, weak pass out of the post <laughs> that RJ had to bend over. And, you know, that, that could have been an open three. Um, another time he stepped through and unfortunately traveled. But once again, it's, it's just being focused and, and making quick decisions. And I think when UNC has beaten UVA in the ACC tournament, you've seen like th- this complete focus on both ends of the ball. And I thought they showed that at the beginning, but it was just probably a little deflating not seeing the ball go in the basket. Um, so that's kind of a, a rambling answer. So yes, it is a knuckleball in the ACC. Uh, but once again, it doesn't seem to have quite the effect out of the ACC. So I don't know what that says about the ACC in general, that they can't quite figure it out, but teams in the tournament um, seem to do much better than kind of the ACC team. So let's kick it to it's, a, it's frustrating. Let's kick it to noted knuckleball fan, Sherelle McMillan. Uh, <laughs> for, for random, this is totally random and, and off base, but I know, I don't think he was a knuckleballer, but when you were saying that it, I started thinking about Charlie Liebrand for some reason, I was like, no, Oh, Charlie, Charlie Liebrand was just really old. I yeah. I just, he was it, a knuckleballer. you said Tim Wakefield and knuckleball. And I was like, Oh, Charlie, Charlie Liebrand. Anyway. Um, so <laughs> what, what Sean said about, you know, doing what you do and just kind of forcing your will on the other team. Like that's that that's what everybody always said about Carolina, you know, or with says about Carolina with the tempo, with the secondary break, with, with the blob sets, uh, with, you know, trapping out of the half court off of his timeout. Like they know what's coming. It's not surprising what UVA does or what UNC does. It's just that UVA has gotten to the point where there's such a well machine that you can just sub in the parts and, and you know, the car, the engine runs exactly the same. I mean, think about they've lost Diakite and Ty Jerome and, and Kyle Guy and Malcolm Brogdon and DeAndre Hunter, you know, all in the last few years. And they're still, you know, what a 20 and three, 19 and three. Yeah. You know, tops in the ACC, top 10 like they are every year. Top five in Kim Palm, one of the most efficient teams, et cetera, et cetera. With, two, um, with a slow start, like Sean mentioned. Like, right. They've had some they bad the, games. They lost to San Francisco. Like, Bill Russell is not walking through that door. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that's where Carolina was, you know, po- you know, pre 2017, uh, even to a degree in 2018 with, with Kobe and those guys. And it's just been a struggle these last couple of years to get it back. And again, to me, that was the disheartening part was that Carolina knew what was going to happen and they just couldn't stop it. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, I can understand the frustration from fans but by the same token, it's – I always get irritated at this thought that the other, you know, UNC loses because UNC's players do something terrible or the coaching staff is just inept. Right. And right. it's more than that. I mean, you're playing against, like you said, a top-10 team that has really refined their strategy when you also consider that that strategy is probably the, the most uh, opposite and the most kryptonite, like you said, of making it in the lab. It's the most kryptonite for UNC style of anything in college basketball. 
I think all those things have to be considered as opposed to just the knee-jerk reaction of saying that, you know, this player sucks or this player sucks. I mean, you could boil yeah, last, you could fair. boil the last loss down to missing a lot of shots. And then when you've missed a lot of your opportunities, knowing that you're going to have less possessions to get that back, I'm sure it probably makes guys press a little bit. But you, you can't avoid giving a shout-out as ugly as, as it is, as much as I hate it. You got to give a shout-out to Tony Bennett and his team for being able to play very well. Um, let's put the Virginia game to bed. I think most people want to and look ahead, you know, as of right now, we're recording this on Sunday night for, you know, I I can't think of a better way to spend Valentine's day than with you guys. Um, (laughs) as we're recording this on Sunday night, there hasn't been a midweek, uh, opponent named to replace Virginia tech. That game has been postponed due to COVID issues in the Virginia tech program. As of right now, UNC's next game would be Saturday against Louisville. Uh, Thankfully it would be a home game. Uh, but, I've got to think that there will be somebody scheduled this week. I have no insider knowledge, but knowing how bad Roy Williams has expressed his desire to play and knowing that there have already been some games postponed in the UNC schedule already, you got to think they'll fill something in. Guys, what should we look for? And I'll go to you first, Sherelle. What should we look for for this team to do in the next two games to hopefully get themselves right for the last three weeks of the season? I, I mean, it's – I don't think anything has changed. I think now we're at the point where we're just kind of repeating ourselves. Uh, it's just take care of the ball, um, be confident with your outside shooting, you know, just hit 34, 35%, something like that. If you can go, you know, if you can go four of 10, great. Four of 11, great. You know, something like that. Um, and then feed the post, make sure that uh, Armando Baycott and, and Garrison Brooks and Dayron Sharp and Walker Kessler, who had maybe his, you know, best game of the season, make sure that those guys are, are getting the ball in position to score because um, good things can only happen when you, when you get the ball in the paint. So I, I, at this point, I don't think it's really rocket science. It's, it's turnovers, it's getting good shots, um, and then it's, it's Caleb Love. If he can eliminate or take away kind of the other lead guard that funnels everything down and, and North Carolina can get off and, and run and, and do some things. Sean, do you feel like there's any – you know, any secret sauce that needs to be done or is it still just correcting more of the same things that have been uh, been their Achilles heel earlier this season? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any secret sauce coming at this point. I, I you know, one thing I would love, which I, I know is not going to happen, of just, you know, if, if things are not trending right off the bat of being able to make quicker decisions in terms of, of lineups, of trying, trying things out. I mean, I think both, you know, Clemson, they went, six minutes right off the bat without making a sub and UVA was around five or six. You know, the good thing is there's no more defenses uh, like a Clemson or, or UVA coming up, but I, I do think they, they, you know, they, I think they just need to focus on their advantage. So we know that's in the post. Um, I think it's more so when there's a Dayron slash Armando in the game, just because they're more physical um, and, and even against Clemson or UVA, you know, you have Joey Hauser or um, uh, Tyson for Clemson. So that's kind of the weak, weak spot. And I feel like UNC hasn't fully taken advantage of that. Um, they do at times, but once again, really attacking that, that four. And, and Garrison, you know, if he's able to hit his mid-range shots, but he's not the guy that's going to overpower and kind of really take advantage of that mismatch. Um, and I'd love to – kind of see them do a little more of the four out, which you've seen at times based on how they're, they're playing. Um, you know, I think I'd like to see, I know Harris has kind of struggled when he has played, but once again, he does at least bring that, that energy um, off the bat, which I think has been, has been lacking. Um, 
and once again, you're not going to see the pack line D um, going forward. And I think it's just trying to improve off the, the Duke game. Um, you know, I, I, Caleb Love only hit two shots, one of them the, the dunk, but I think he still should have that confidence hopefully going forward. I think he can get to the basket on guys. His, his shot's still looking better. Um, so I think there, there's still room for improvement. It's just trying to be a little better in terms of, of taking advantage of, of the things you do well. Do what you do well and try to limit what they do well. I like the way you like the way you distill that down for us. Even people like me can understand it. I appreciate that. Boys, anything else? Parting shots before we put a bow on this episode and head on down the road? I mean, the only thing for me is, you know, if we are talking Louisville, you know, they're an extremely small team. Just looking at their starting five. I mean, they have, they have a fresh a six, eight freshman playing playing center and have Samuel Williamson as their, as their four. So once again, that, you know, can, I think the offensive boards will be a little more available than they were against UVA um, just because they do a, a really good job blocking out. So, you know, that, that's going to be an area to, that they need to fully take advantage of. Do they, uh, go ahead, Shrill. I, I was saying, I think Williamson had like 17 rebounds against Syracuse. Uh, he, he, he did. I, I had to yeah. do a double take on that, but <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'll, you know, you know, I'll take the big guys feasting on him. And sorry, the other thing, last thing for me is just, you know, Armando, I know I have, you know, in, in the game, he got taken out in the second, uh, when, when, um, he, Clark went for the, went for the layup. Um, and he, he didn't help out. Granted, he was helping out off of Jay Huff, but that next possession, you know, he saw a sub coming in, but he did make that nice pass to Brooks. And I, I think for him, it's just, he's been the, one of the most efficient players all year. And I think it's just trying to get him involved. Like he needs to be a focal point of the offense anytime he's in. Uh, Cause he, he does play well. Um, and I think he needs to, he needs to be getting the 10, 10, 12, 14 shots a game. Yeah. He's definitely much, this is going to sound like a, well, no crap exclusive, but he, he really does a better job when he gets touches earlier in the game, because I think it, it, increases his activity on both ends of the floor i mean when armando is engaged on both ends this team is a different different ball club uh do we know if uh do we know if any of louisville's guys are um have a penchant for the illegal moving screen do we, do we know anything about that no how, do, how does ken palm rate them under uh under moving screens Okay, well behind UVA and Clemson. All right, <laughs> all right, boys. Uh, Shrill, anything before we uh, before we before we call it a night? No, nothing for me. All Johnny right, T-shirt. Yes, Johnny T-shirt. Always got to give them some love. Thanks to Johnny T-shirt for sponsoring. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in, watching, listening. However it is you're getting us, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, rate, review as you see fit. Uh, for Shrill McMillan, for Sean Moran, I'm Joey Powell. We'll catch you next time on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Late. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.